0: Welcome back to Insights at ADAPEC 2022 where we are travelling deep into the minds of our experts and influencers to gain insights and perspectives on the challenges and opportunities facing the energy sector and I'm your host Amy Ironside. In today's episode we're going to be discussing decarbonisation in the Middle East and how far we can go to decarbonise critical energy infrastructure across the region. We'll be discussing the regulations and policies required to accelerate decarbonisation solutions how we integrate renewable solutions into existing infrastructure and the challenges in modifying assets. And we'll be challenging whether we have the workforce and the skill sets required to undertake this. Today's experts have lots of rich insight and solutions. And uh, I'm sure they're gonna help us have a great conversation today. So I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Ryan and Stuart Turrell. I'm gonna ask you both just to share a very brief introduction, of who you are, what you do, and uh, what, what, what it is you do at Wood. So Stuart,
1: I'll start with you. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so my name is Stuart Turrell. I'm Business Development Director for Energy Transition for Middle East, Europe, and Africa, um, covering everything from hydrogen through carbon capture, decarbonisation, electrification, offshore renewables, and anything energy transition related.
0: Excellent. Chris?
2: Uh, My name is Chris Ryan, I'm the Wood Project Director for the BGC contract, um, which is a multi-billion dollar uh, gas capturing contract that we have in Iraq, Uh, and we're based in Dubai, but with a lot of people rotating through Iraq, and as well as the local national workforce in Iraq.
0: Thank you very much, brilliant to have you both join us here today. So I'll start off with saying, you know, at, at industry events and roundtable discussions, we often hear there's appetite and money to spend on decarbonisation opportunities but the issue is not necessarily knowing where to spend it to get the best benefit. What do you see being needed uh, in terms of more support, sorry, more supportive regulations and policies to accelerate to bring these decarbonisation solutions to life and enable broader energy portfolios? Chris I'll come to you first.
2: Well obviously um, having an emissions trading scheme, uh, with being able to price uh carbon um, and having that rolled out through the governments and in partnered with industries and, and ensuring that that drives the finance and, and the investment into the decarbonised solutions. Yeah.
1: yeah, no. so just to build on that, I think obviously uh, financing is going to be one of the biggest challenges to making decarbonisation projects a reality. Um, carbon pricing is one significant way of supporting that. Um, we've already seen Oman and Saudi Arabia announcing um potential uh, movements towards some sort of carbon pricing regime um mm-hmm. there's no indicative time scale on that yet um but that's one way of obviously driving uh investment in these decarbonization projects um moving forwards so.
0: great anything else to add
2: on that chris ah oh, well the, the there's a lot of focus um within the middle east and they're they're really set up um to to be leaders within the Uh, decarbonisation industry and and then obviously the CCUS industry um, currently accounting for about 10% of the world's carbon capture. Uh, There's there's also a a lot of drivers within um, the use of carbon dioxide uh, for enhanced oil recovery. So you see a lot of that driving um, the pilot projects, which you've seen in... Uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, Abu Dhabi, and also in, in Qatar and the RasGas. So, seeing being able to drive um, or, or extend the life of declining fields, certainly ones that have been in production for a long period of time, and, and having that business case there, that that should really drive um, greater uh, interest um, towards towards carbon capture and decarbonisation. Yeah,
1: and the last thing I'd add on that is, I think as with any sort of energy transition, uh, energy project in general, uh, particularly with decarbonisation projects, obviously investors are looking at surety of return for their investments. Developers are looking for surety of costs when it comes to their developments as well. Um, You then couple that with first-of-a-kind technologies and new developments, there's a significant amount of risk there um, that needs to be taken by somebody. Um, And whether that flows down to an EPC contractor or someone else, that risk is still there and inherent in the project. So I think um, carbon financing or balancing the equation through either government incentives or um, other sort of carbon pricing mechanism is one way of doing that. Um, And I think also when you look at what other countries are putting in place in terms of supporting these projects, um, the UK has got their um, sequencing funding application round, for example, um, which is looking at Two tracks of funding. Um, the first one's been announced for, I think, 1.4 billion dollars worth of funding for the Track One clusters, which are High Net and the East Coast cluster. Um, so we're currently supporting on those. We're, we're currently doing the fee design for the hydrogen network for the High Net project. Um, we're the integrated project management team on Net Zero T side, which is one half of the East Coast cluster, um, and we're performing the fee design for uh, the CO two and hydrogen pipeline um, on the Net, uh, Zero Carbon Humber project as well. Um, so we're supporting across those Track One clusters in the UK. Um, and that government funding is obviously helping drive through the early engineering fee design activities.
2: I I guess the the one other point is surrounding that of uh, green financing. Um, There's there's a lot of interest obviously through the World Bank uh, and the the ability to get these high, um, high profile or high value um, decarbonisation projects or environmental projects throughout the world. Uh, And we're seeing some of that certainly in our Iraq operators um, being able to secure green financing uh, to assist in their decarbonisation journey.
0: Very good. So, I, I guess in more recent times, mega projects, you know, greenfield de- green developments are able to consider and plan how they reduce the carbon intensity of operations from quite an early stage, kind of from the onset. But for existing and ageing infrastructure, how do we integrate renewable solutions like electrification or introduce carbon capture? and um, to, to decarbonize those assets. And what, what are some of the challenges that we face with modifying those existing assets, Chris? First,
2: Well, if, if you think about the, the contract that I'm currently working on, which is the Basra Gas contract. So this is uh, an incorporated JV um, between the Southern Gas Company, uh, Shell uh, and Mitsubishi and uh, with the purpose of, of capturing and decarbonising um, the flare gas. <clears throat> um, central to their goal is to, to capture the, the, the flare gas uh, and uh, reduce the, the carbon emissions. They, they themselves have been able to secure the, uh, the green financing loan um, through the World Bank, uh, which which helps drive um, these type of projects and and makes them more feasible to get off the ground. Um, Last year alone, uh, our current client um, within their operations was able to avoid 20 um, million tons of carbon dioxide emissions through their operations and their, their flare gas capturing project. Currently they capture around about 65% of the associated uh, gas uh, and their plan is to capture 90% over the next five years. Um, Now obviously, other than the environmental benefits of this, you um, also see great social benefits with respect to uh, creating power for for the communities as well as creating a uh, a revenue source for the country. so, obviously, countries uh, where there's, there's lots of, the Middle East, where lots of oil and gas production, there's, there's huge opportunities to capture emissions. Um, uh, a lot of the challenges associated with that is, as you said, uh, some of the, the, the locations, and the aging infrastructure, and getting the finance into these locations, um, and then assisting and partnering with our clients uh, to, to get these solutions online. Yep.
0: What are some, just on that, what, what are some of the real blockers and challenges? Because if it was easy, we'd be doing it all over the place and, you know, it would, would really be a talking point. So what do you see as the real challenges um, on, on projects like the one that you're working on?
2: Uh, I'd say supply chain challenges, especially during COVID or coming out of COVID times, have been a, have been a big challenge. What? <laughs> um, uh, no one's been immune to this uh, black swan event of COVID, and, and certainly the operators haven't. And and when you're, you've got projects that uh, are, are difficult projects as it is to deliver. These additional challenges uh, require resilience, and certainly finance resilience and and, and partnered resilience throughout the. Um, Throughout the wider technical community, um, so finance is certainly one of the key challenges. Um, getting competence within certain regions, um, the right competence, sustaining the, the workforce, uh, and, and ensuring that the the supply chains aren't heavily disrupted that that can affect your business cases. Just
1: just on the challenges piece, you mentioned electrification at the start of the question. I think. The common soundbite used for offshore electrification is that it's as complex as open-heart surgery. Um, and obviously that's just because of the, the space and the weight constraints that we have on some of these top sides um, that are in operation at the moment. And that's just the the brownfield modification side actually trying to fit the equipment on the brown, uh, on the top sides for the brownfield modifications. That's not even accounting for the, where you get the power from. So is it power from shore or are you looking at integrating power from floating wind or offshore wind, for example, and um, the associated control system? challenges that come with that. So that's what we're trying to work on. The wind Tampa project with Equinor, for example, um, for the EPCI brownfield contract and integrating that intermittent uh, wind power to enable uh, electrification or partial electrification of the asset. Um, we know that ADNOC are looking at Project Lightning in the Middle East, for example, which is a, a massive scale electrification project. So um, there are technical challenges involved, but they are interesting challenges that can be solved. Um, so it's just a question of uh, thorough engineering and uh, yeah commitment to it
0: for sure and, and i know stuart that you're the really at the heart to use your pun around particularly in the uk north sea and just, so do you see the the kind of progress that's been made there which is quite is, is coming at pace you know we're received some development do you see the export potential to bring that knowledge into you talked about some middle east projects I, around electrification do you see that
1: i think so and i think it is coupled with um, legislation incentives as well so for example um, crown Estate scotland recently announced the intog license round for offshore wind which is specifically targeted at innovation for floating wind, so developing new technologies. But the TOG part is targeted oil and gas, looking at electrification of offshore oil and gas assets. And those sort of bespoke license rounds for offshore wind, specifically targeted at decarbonising oil and gas assets is something that could provide an incentive. Obviously, it doesn't work in every geography. The Middle East potentially has um, a better case for power from shore, um, which is what the project lightning will be, um, and being able to utilise that HVAC technology.
0: No great, that's good. And Chris, there's something you talked about which is actually becoming a theme through all of our podcast discussions this week, um, around skills and sustaining a workforce that um, you know, can actually help deliver on all these big ambitions, which we're hearing lots of throughout the show this week. So I guess if, if we just come to that, you know, do you think we have the workforce to undertake the transition, you know, to decarbonize conventional energy projects as well as the new energy projects in the Middle East, or what what are some of the challenges and opportunities you see there?
2: Well, certainly um, a lot of the, the skills are transferable when we have very established um, workforce and very skilled workforce in the Middle East. Um, however, it would as a global brand and having global specialists such as the man on my right here um, really is able to bring um, those capabilities and supplement those capabilities that, that can really make us a powerhouse in the region.
1: Yeah. definitely just just to add to that as well i think obviously woods created um initiatives such as the energy transition academy that is looking at specifically upskilling our existing workforce into energy transition specialisms Um, but the the bedrock of that is the uh conventional um discipline engineering that we have um in-house and the other thing i'd add is that i think when it comes to decarbonisation you have decarbonisation focused projects that are specifically targeted at decarbonisation ie CCS projects green hydrogen etc Um, But I think we need to get in the mindset of every project is a decarbonisation project um, and looking to minimise the CO2 equivalence of any project that we're either designing, executing, delivering, operating, um, so that all of our workforce are purely focused on decarbonisation in everything we deliver.
0: Absolutely, a really key point. And Chris, with your experience in country with the teams supporting operations in Iraq and also those there on that really interesting project, Mm. do you see the kind of energy they get from... You know, being involved in something that they can see kind of tangible purpose towards.
2: Oh, absolutely, and everyone feels connected to the social and environmental good that we're doing in country, um, and it's it's very energizing when you when you get to see the faces and work with the with the, the people in country, and you see the sense of purpose and the sense of energy. So it's it's something you can be proud of um, coming to work. It, Something that we talk about, you know, when we get around the family and, and we talk about the things that we're doing and what we're proud of. So, yeah, that, that's really translating throughout the whole team. Yeah.
0: And it's a, it's, it's a really, you know, it, it's important when it comes to attracting the talent that we need, right, in order to deliver on everything we've been talking about, that did you feel that connection and, you know, the, the, the taboo around conventional energy. And I think to your point, you know, every energy project, it's a decarbonisation project, whether you're producing oil and gas or hydrogen or, or solar, whatever the power is. So I think, you know, knowing that that's coming is important. I'm just going to ask you another question, Chris, on, you know, local talent development. I, I assume that that's a big part of what you do with the team, um, with the team in Iraq. But I don't know if you can maybe just share some of that.
2: Yeah, so local development is a, is a core focus. We have dedicated um, training development specialists, uh, both for our arc business and for the specific project that I'm working on. Um, it, it, we, get, we have a huge graduate intake each year. I think our intake was around 20 this year and, and similar last year. And these are really talented, motivated uh, people and they, they relish the opportunity to get that experience and, and to to integrate into sort of the, the wider technical functions and, and specialties. That, that Wood carries as a brand, and um, you know, it, it's really a great opportunity for them and, and a great opportunity for us.
1: Yeah, and I think that, that localization piece and local content requirements is only going to increase, particularly if government incentives and funding start coming into position, they're going to want, obviously, local content to be a core part of any, any project moving forward. So we can't bury our heads in the sands and imagine that we'll only be able to execute these projects with subject matter experts from the UK, for example, and we need to drive that local content for every, each and every project
0: absolutely for sure so lots of great discussion big targets big ambitions big potential big opportunities but of course some challenges that but I think that we've discussed today we're well equipped to tackle so if I can come to you both with a couple of t- key key takeaways before we close up the conversation today Stuart I'll start with yourself
1: yep Norris no um, I think my key takeaway is that there, there is a big challenge there um, but I think it's it's making the impossible possible really um, it is looking at how we can support projects from early development phases, understanding what key drivers are for the projects, um, and then kind of identifying the best solutions and moving them forward. So I think um, we can work with our clients to um, to really focus on what is needed um, for a specific project. Um, and then you couple that with obviously government incentives um, and any other regulatory regimes that may be able to actually push a project through into uh, to execute. Um, and yeah, hopefully we can actually start getting some of these projects in the ground.
0: Very good. Chris, anything from your side?
2: Yeah, I guess the the key takeaway for me is really how the Middle East is is positioned uh, with a competitive advantage in this decarbonisation sector. Um, huge opportunities as well uh, with to converting grey to blue hydrogen, um, The the talent of the workforce and the development of the workforce, uh, and really just how we can play a part of, of really what is the challenge of our generation and that is decarbonisation mm-hmm.
0: yep. Very good brilliant conversation, really appreciate you both joining us here today and that brings us to the close of this insight from Adepec 2022 where we explored the opportunities and challenges around how we can decarbonise critical energy infrastructure across the Middle East, thank you both so much again and um, we'll see you throughout the week, Thank you. thank
1: you Thank you